Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Proverbs chapter 10. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is the grief of his mother. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivers from death. Yahweh will not allow the righteous soul to famish, but he casts away the desire of the wicked. He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a wise son. He who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. The wise in heart will receive commands, but a prating fool will fall. He who walks with integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will become known. He who winks with the eye causes trouble, but a prating fool will fall. The mouth of the righteous is a well of life, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. Wisdom is found on the lips of him who has understanding, but a rod is for the back of him who is devoid of understanding. Wise people store up knowledge, but the mouth of the foolish is near destruction. The rich man's wealth is his strong city. The destruction of the poor is their poverty. The labor of the righteous leads to life, the wages of the wicked to sin. He who keeps instruction is in the way of life, but he who refuses correction goes astray. Whoever hides hatred has lying lips, and whoever spreads slander is a fool. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, the heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of wisdom. The blessing of Yahweh makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. To do evil is like sport to a fool, but a man of understanding has wisdom. The fear of the wicked will come upon him, and the desire of the righteous will be granted. When the whirlwind passes by, the wicked is no more, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation. As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy man to those who send him. The fear of Yahweh prolongs days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. The hope of the righteous will be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. The way of Yahweh is strength for the upright, but destruction will come to the workers of iniquity. The righteous will never be removed, but the wicked will not inhabit the earth. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut out. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked mouth of the wicked, what is perverse. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. 
Well, after spending the, the past month looking at voices of the Incarnation and considering the, the, the marvel of God com, coming into the flesh, we are returning back to our studies in the book of Proverbs. And um, just as a way of quick review, we clearly have come through most of this. We started this back in June. I don't know if you realize that. So it's been quite a while, actually, that we've been going through the, the, the book. And we consider then the fear of Yahweh and how the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom, how the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge as well. And then we've gone through uh, what it means to possess wisdom and to propagate it and the, the portrait that is there than the pursuit and the path of it. And we then transitioned into these, what I'm referring to as the pearls of wisdom. I don't know how else to describe as you go through the book of Proverbs. There's just like nuggets all over the place that you're going to grasp. And many of these nuggets are, are just like all over the field, if you would, of Proverbs. It's kind of like you're going into this meadow, into this lee, and, um, and there's all these beautiful flowers all over the place, you know, and there's one there, and there's one there, and well, this one looks just like this one over there, and this one there, and well, that one, I swear I just saw that one over here. And it's, that's way, as you're reading the book of Proverbs, it's, it's these same nuggets that are like being stated over and over again. And I don't know if you noted even today as Chuck was reading from Proverbs 10, there was um, a word or a form of a word that was repeated over and over and over again, and that is the word righteous or righteousness. And... Um, the last thing we covered um, in November was on finances. And I mentioned about the, the volume that Proverbs has regarding our uses of finance. Well, there is such a volume as well um, regarding that which is right or that which is righteous. And so um, I want to talk about the righteous today. And I titled it, Blessed Are the Righteous. And this is only part one. Um, I think of two parts but that's my statement at this moment. I think of two parts. So I'm planning two parts. I was only planning one part going into the, the, as my study, and it turned out to be two parts. By the end of this message, we'll know whether it's more than that or not. So, because I've got a lot of preliminary that I want to talk about in this. And first of all, we, we want to talk about the meaning of the term, okay? What, is it, what does it mean? So righteous literally is having the quality of being in conformance to that which is Right. Well, that sounds like a no-brainer, okay? So anybody can call themselves righteous. In fact, we understand, biblically as we're speaking, I mean, it's not something, that there are many people who are self-righteous. And so we define self-righteous by that they are right according to their own standards. Make sense? So they're righteous in their own eyes. Sadly, many of us tend to be righteous in our own eyes. Th- think about that. I mean, that's not a, a slam. It's a, I'm, I'm looking in the mirror. It's back to me as well, right? You do the things that you do because you think that you are right. In Christ, though, the very first step of getting saved, and we'll talk about this in just a moment, is recognizing the fact that I wasn't right in my standard, that my ultimate standard was wrong. Make sense? And so I had to come to the point where I recognized that my standard of my righteousness was wrongfulness, and therefore I had to change the way I thought. 
Well, that continues on through my walk with Christ. As God continues to peel the layers of my onion of my life, of my sinfulness and of my decadence and of my uh, self-centeredness and my self-righteousness, and he continues to get to the core of who I am, there's more and more that I've got to realize that I am wrong about and that he is always right. Biblical righteousness, then, is that which is in conformance to what God declares is right. Now, that's a big difference between just something being righteous and something being biblically righteous. How do I know? How do I know that I am biblically righteous? How do I know what biblical righteousness is? Good. I can check it out in God's word. Exactly right. God, God gave us his word in order that I might know the way he thinks. So Jesus said to those Jews who believed on him, right? If you abide in my word, then you are my disciple indeed. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So I've got to abide in his word in order to God's word in order to know what God's standard of righteousness is in order for me then to walk according to that standard a righteous individual then is one who seeks to practice biblical righteousness now what's kind of fun about this is we get to the usage of this term we'll get to genesis 15 in a moment and then deuteronomy 6 will be coming up flying up in just a moment there too that the word here um for righteous in the um in the old testament is used 206 times in 197 verses. Of that, 197 verses, 66 verses are in the book of Proverbs. Fully one-third of God's Old Testament teaching on what the righteous are, we find out about in the book of Proverbs. Isn't that an amazing thought? Okay, so when we talk about reading proverbs every day and i I don't know if you remember back in june i I challenged you to read a proverb a day for for the next three to six months okay and so i challenge you to do that because if you really want to know what it means to live according to biblical righteousness to be righteous biblically one of the best places to do that is the book of proverbs because fully one-third of his usages of this term are there okay so, let's go to Genesis 15. Now, hopefully, um, I, I kind of shared this at the beginning, but some came, came in a little later and stuff. Hopefully, you got, I, I put verse sheets back there, okay? And if you didn't get one, there should be a mass rush to the back right now, okay? Because we're going to be using this um, a whole lot, okay? So, Genesis 15, 6, you can look it up, but I'm going to go by my verse sheet here, because you can see it's two pages full, okay? Oh, and what did I just do? I hit this button didn't I? I did. Turn that off so I don't hit the button again. All right. So Genesis 15, 6, okay? This is about Abraham, and God's promising Abraham that he's going to multiply him like the, the, sand on the, on, the sand on the seashore and the stars in the, in the heavens, right? And so we read, then Yahweh brought Abraham outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them, okay? Have you ever been someplace? Don't, don't say, okay, I was out at, at um, 
at Clarks Hill. There's still lights around there. Have you ever been someplace really, really, really where there's no lights? Yes, okay. For that There's like 20-something, 100-something miles. There's no lights. You're totally in pitch darkness. And have you ever looked up and seen the lights? I mean, it is amazing. Okay, so Zach, I mean, Andrew, you guys can work. I'm, I think up at Black Hawk, laying on the, on the pontoon boat in the middle of the Montreal River, there is nothing. We're in the middle of the pristine Canadian wilderness. There is nothing around Justin. You were there, right? And I look up and I see satellites traveling like, you know, and, and, and things are just moving. There's things in that sky that I never, international flights going, you're just seeing these things. And then the stars are just phenomenal. And then if you get the chance to ever be there in September, I was there once and I got to see the, the northern lights and, and watch God's um, symphony going on and just the, the whole thing back and forth. It was just a phenomenal moment. I mean, it's just amazing what all was there. And I just think of Abraham out with God that day and God says, okay, look up. Count the stars. Uh, where am I going to start? You know, I got one, two, three, four, five, three. Um, where, sorry, yeah, one, two, three, four. No, and no, I did that one again. One, two, three, four. And it's like, I can't, I can't. And God says, this is how many descendants you're going to have. How many children did Abraham have? Zero. At this moment. At this moment. Zero. No, no, it's okay, though. Yeah, you, you need to be in my brain at this moment, okay? I mean, yeah, you're thinking later. I'm thinking at this moment. I mean, there's, he, has, he hasn't got a kid. How old is he? 90, 80, come on now. Well, he hasn't had, he hasn't had Ishmael yet. Ishmael's 13 when Isaac's born. So we got to go backwards. So 100, so he's 87. So he's somewhere in, in the 80 to 87 range, okay? I mean, he's still vim, vigor, young guy. I mean, sure, he's going to have tons of kids. No, he's sitting thinking, uh, God, I, I think you got the wrong guy. I think you got the wrong guy. And, right, because he's looking at Sarah thinking what? It ain't her, okay? And so we we're, we got a problem. And God says, look up. This is how many descendants you're going to have in the next line. Abraham believed in Yahweh. Stop. That's where it all ends. That's where it all begins. Abraham believed in Yahweh. He'd already seen Yahweh do phenomenal things. He brought him into the land, which he promised him to give him. How old was Abraham when God called Abraham to go into this land? 75. And even at that time, God promised that he was going to, in, in your seed, all the nations, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. And Abraham said, God, you're too, I mean, Look, call somebody else because I'm 75 years old. I mean, and I got to travel all the way from Earth. He didn't do that. He said, I'll go. I'll go. So what do we know about Abram? Avram at that moment, right? He's not Abraham yet. He's Avram. What do we know about Avram? He chose to believe. He follows after Yahweh into the land. And so now God takes him the next step and says, no, no, it's not. This is all as a response to Abraham thinks that Eliezer, his servant from Damascus, is going to be his heir. 
He thinks that all the, the promise of God is going to come through Eliezer. And God says, no, wait, 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 stop, stop. You've been doing so good, Abram. You've been doing so good. But I've I got to take you the next step. Come on out. Wouldn't it be kind of cool? Just come outside. Look up. Abraham believed in Yahweh. Now here's the next step. And Yahweh accounted it to him for righteousness. What did Abram do? What works did Abram accomplish in order for him to be righteous in the eyes of God? Now, I want you to think about this. Because in instantly we say none. He did none. But he did do one. We can debate on this one. This is a great debate theologically, okay? What did he do? He believed. In John 6, Jesus said, this is the work of God that you what? That you believe. If you want to debate works at all, the only work that you can do is what? Believe. And when you believe, when you believe in God, it will change the way you think and change the way you act because it will change your heart. Everything will change. And now all of a sudden it will lead into what? A lot of works. So James says, show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. Even the devils believe and they, and they tremble. True faith, true belief, will manifest itself in true righteousness. So we see that in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 24, 25. Does anybody know what else is in Deuteronomy 6 that's very important? The Shema, verses 4 to 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And the words which I teach you this day shall be in your hearts, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, whether you're sitting in a house, whether you're walking away, whether you're lying down, or whether you're sitting up. And you shall put them as a sign upon your hands, as a front between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and on your gates. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 10 says, But beware! But beware, when you go into the land and all of a sudden you are reaping from vineyards which you didn't plant and you're, and, you're, and you're taking water out of wells that you didn't dig and you're living in houses that you didn't build, beware, be careful, lest you forget. Sorry, lest you forget. And lest you forget. Why? Because we do that. We take our eyes off the God who blesses and we start worshiping the blessings rather than the blesser. And so we read then down in verse 24 and 25. And Yahweh commanded us to observe all these statutes to fear Yahweh our God for our good always. Why did he do it? For our good always. That he might preserve us alive as it is this day then it will be righteousness, tzedakah, for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before Yahweh our God as he commanded us. Those then who believe, like Abraham believed, it will lead to them desiring to obey. Trust and obey, for there is no other way. 
Okay? And so it's a neat little song. We sing it, right? But that's a fact that if I really believe, then I will then accordingly live. So the righteous, again, are those, biblical righteousness, but a righteous individual is one who seeks to practice biblical righteousness. That's only going to come when they choose to believe properly. There's a step process. Now, this is then repeated as well in the New Testament. This is why you want this, because we're going to look at Romans 3, verse 9, 19, all the way down to chapter 4, verse 25. And if you're looking at this sheet, okay, again, I've told you in the past, I love to colorize things because it helps me to see things, okay? And so when you're looking at this, all these reddish-colored ones, so red, orange, purple, they all got it kind of red in it, right, are all the same terms. Now, in the Hebrew, we have the word sadach and sadacha, okay, for righteous and righteousness, that which is right, okay? The, the Greek equivalent, then, is diakonos, diakonsune, uh, dikia, uh, okay, dikia-o, and so you can see the Greek words there. I know you necessarily can't read them, but you're going to see the similarities in them, okay? You can see the little thing that looks like a D. That's the delta, okay? And you see the one that looks like an I? That's a Yoda. The thing that looks like a K? It's a kappa. The thing that looks like an A? It's an alpha. So you can almost read it, even though it's Greek. You can kind of look at it. And, and I'm looking at the orange word right now, three, three lines down. Dekai a'o, okay? And you say, well, that looks like an owl. That, that, that W is an omega. That's a long O. So the, little, that, the one that looks like an O, it's just a short O. It's ah. Uh, but the o, that omega thing, that's a long O. So, so you can read Greek now, okay? It's a dekai a'o, okay? All right, so as we come along here, you're going to see all these references that, that Paul's going to make. I mean, he is expounding Genesis 15, 6, or 15, 5, and 6 is what's happening here, okay? And so all these things are righteousness. Then in the green, in the dark green, are the words for faith or hope. And if you look all the way down to, um, or first of all, use believe, um, verse 22, it's there. Um, you can see the word believe, and it's the word pistuo. And so faith is pistis and believe is pistuo. Okay, they're, they're related words, this is my point. Pistis, faith, is the noun. Pistuo is the verb. Okay, it's based upon that. So they're related. And then the word hope um, is in there someplace. Where is it at? Is that up in the beginning of it? Verse 18? Yes, hope, twice. And you can see it's elpis. Now again, I know you're not seeing it, but you can see the last three letters are the exact same three, first three letters as faith and belief. Okay? And so it's, it's, it's a related word. It's built upon the fact. Hope is then really related to faith. Okay? It's not a wishy-washy, like, oh, I just hope this is going to do it. I have a confidence is really the idea that's happening here. My faith is built on this thing. And then in the blue, you have this word, legitsomai, and it's translated accounted or imputed. That's our word that God imputed it to him for righteousness. It's an accounting term. It's an accounting term. God has a ledger. In, 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 in the ledger of your life, it's a big negative. I mean, massive negative. I mean, you're the, what you owe is more than you can ever pay. So think of the, uh, the parable, right? I mean, you just can't pay it back. But when you come to Jesus Christ, you know what God does? He takes a big eraser. But he doesn't just do that. Really, he doesn't erase all your bad stuff. 
Do you know what he does? He takes Jesus' account. And he does a massive transfer. And he transfers out of Jesus' account of righteousness. And he imputes it to your account. It's the word. Look, it's in my. He accounts it. He does an accounting thing. Can you do that? Tammy, you do the, oh, you used to do the treasury work for the, could you do that? I mean, could you just kind of transfer money if you wanted to transfer it? It'd be nice, yeah. She'd get in a whole lot of trouble for doing it, you know, because the world doesn't like that so much if she takes somebody else's money. But God can do that, and God did it. Why? Because it was his money. Do you get it? It's his righteousness. He can do it. I can transfer money to your account if I want to, but if you come into my account and transfer it, it's not so good. And that's exactly what Jesus said. He did this accounting thing where he then takes this thing and he, my guilt is just phenomenal. And he takes this righteousness of Jesus and he transfers and imputes it into my account so that how I am righteous with his righteousness. So I'm going to read through this real fast. Okay, and you can, hopefully you're looking at it. You can see all these words and just how much, I mean, to me, it's just overwhelming what he's done for me. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty. Again, notice the word hupo dikas. They're under righteousness is the idea. They're held under righteousness because they can't do it before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified, made righteous in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness, the akasune, of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe or who have faith. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified or being made righteous freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation, a payment, by his blood through faith or through believing in, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness." that he might be the just or the righteous maker and the justifier, the one making righteous, of the one who has faith in Jesus. Oh, I missed the faith. That should be green and pistis. The one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. I missed two, man. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified, made righteous, Oh, three of them. By faith, apart from the deeds. Okay, stop. We're going to do this again next week. Okay. (laughs) By faith, apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify or make righteous not the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Wait, I really blew it in that paragraph. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified, made righteous by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted imputed to him for righteousness now to him who works the wages are not accounted 
as grace, but as a debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies, is made righteous, the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessed is the man whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are are covered. Blessed is the man to whom Yahweh shall not impute sin. But this blessedness then comes, does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised. That righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but also but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. Are you tracking with me on this so far? For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all of the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did exist, who contrary to hope in faith, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body, already dead since he was about 100 years old, in the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief without faith, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, quote, it was accounted to him for righteousness, end quote. Now, it was written not for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus, our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. What's Paul saying? It's not by your works. It's not by adhering to the law. Okay, we're going to get into Proverbs here, and we're going to be talking a lot about this. And so it's important to lay this foundation, okay? Because we're going to talk about things that we do and the things that are manifested in us. But the core 
of righteousness, the core of your righteousness, is not based upon what you do. It's based upon what you believe. And if you truly, truly believe, changing the way you think, it will change the way you behave, the way you act, the things you do, how you view the standards of God. Circumcision means nothing. It was the belief that meant everything. There were those who adhering to the law. But Jesus called them whitewashed sepulchers. Because their hearts were not right. And so we read then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18-20. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing, accounting, the other way, their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Once I believe, I then become positionally righteous. But now I live in this world. And God continually makes me what? more righteous. This is a mind-boggling thing for me. Because positionally, I mean, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to the purpose of God, right? And whom he did foreknow, he also did predestined, that we may be conformed to the image of his Son. And whom he did call, he, or for whom he did predestine, those he also called, and those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Those are past tense words. I already am justified. I already am glorified. It's a fact. I just haven't experienced it yet. And so God, who began the good work in me, who set me apart positionally, is working it out while I'm on this earth. And I, it's talking about the dichotomy in my brain. It's kind of, I mean, I am but I'm not. But I am. But I'm still working through this thing. And if you live in my house, you know it. I mean, you know, I can put on a show here, but you live in my house, you know it. You say, yeah, God's still working on him, baby. Woo! You know? But that's okay. I can say that because I know God's still working on you. Make sense? If I was in your house, if I had one of those little bitty cameras that we'd be looking at you, you go, oh, brother, I can't believe what goes on in that house. And so, because it's God who's doing the work. So I need to pursue this thing. I need to desire it. I, I mean, Abraham, of all people, I mean, he gave away his wife, man. Twice. Twice. But God had accounted it to him for righteousness. No, he gave away his wife. No, that wasn't what he gave away. He counted righteousness. <laughs> he gave away his wife and he counted righteousness. No, no, that's not what I meant. So 
But he believed God. And yet in his belief, he still what? He still stumbled. He still stumbled. So let's move on with the inclinations then of the righteous. There's a whole lot of this stuff we're going to look at. The inclinations of the righteous. Let's get through this today. First of all is teachableness, okay? So Proverbs chapter 9, verse 9. We read, give instruction to a wise man, and he will still be wiser. Teach a just, or literally in the, in the Hebrew, it's the word righteous, tzedak. It's the righteous man. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. So one who has inclined himself, who has aligned himself with the biblical concepts of righteousness, that which is right in the eyes of God, what will he be like? He'll be teachable. Why do you think he'll be teachable? Say again? Humility. But why? Think, think about who he is. Who is he? He's the what man? He's the righteous man. Okay? So why will he be teachable? What do we know? What do we know about definitions of who this righteous man is? Don't forget, this is all built. Okay, and what does he know about biblical righteousness? It's built upon, well, it's faith, but it's, well, yeah, yeah. But it's God's standard of what? Righteousness. If by faith I come and I know this is built upon his standard and I know then I'm not what? Perfect. Make sense? That's part of biblical rightness, righteousness, right? I know that I'm not perfect. Therefore, I know, whether I like to admit it or not, that sometimes I'm what? <gasps> no. Wrong, me, wrong, no, I know I'm right. Yeah, there's got to be this reality that I know that I'm wrong. Sometimes. Do I want to be wrong? I don't want to be wrong. But I know, I know, I know that I am a sinful, self-centered being in every once in a while, just every once in a while. I mean, the older I get, I mean, I'm sure it's just far, few, far between. No, that I fall into my sin. And God kind of boils up a little bit more, right? And he kind of shows me just another little fleck of that dross. Sometimes it's not just a fleck, I know. And it's just like, well, it's like, yeah, that is so ugly and gross. I mean, 30 years ago, I didn't care about some of the stuff that's coming out now. It was so down deep in there, it didn't even matter. I mean, I was looking at the big stuff. But now God continues to draw that stuff out and it makes me realize what a stinking, selfish, self-centered, prideful individual that I am. I remember when I first became a pastor. I mean, I, lust of the flesh, I got it. But I didn't think I struggled with lust or the pride of life. I didn't think I struggled with lust of the eyes. I mean, you know, there's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And I thought, man, pride, lust of the flesh, I got that. I, man, woo, you know. But I didn't think I was so bad with the pride of life. So you know what God did for me? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Let's work on that a little bit. Let's, let's show you what stinking prideful person you are. That lust of the eye stuff, it didn't bother me. You know, you guys, you go out to Home Depot, and you start lusting after all those tolls. And I never did that kind of stuff. So God gave me a home improvement business, and so I started lusting after all those tolls. And and, it just revealed in me the stuff that, I mean, for me it was a laptop or whatever, you know, or maybe it was the modern, the the current music since I was a, a a DJ and stuff like that. And so, you know, all those things, I mean, there was just things that God was just revealing to me that was like, no, you really are that. So if you want to be righteous, you have to be teachable. You've got to be willing to, un, to be taught, to know that you don't know it all. I don't know it all. That's why I want you guys and ladies to learn Greek. 
And then I want someone to learn it well enough that you can start teaching it. So I can start teaching Hebrew. So that I can't say whatever I want to say. It's nice having Gerard here. I don't agree with Gerard all the time. He does not always write. Anyways, but the, the, I'm joking. But it's nice having somebody who is a Hebrew linguist here. Because he can hold me accountable. I know that. I can't just go playing it out with you guys. Because i got someone who, who probably knows Hebrew better than I do sitting there. It's only modern Hebrew, so I can, I can justify it. Uh, you know. and so I can hide behind that. Hey, I'm, but i got ancient Hebrew here, Gerard, okay? I don't know what you're thinking. And so it's important because we, we iron sharpens iron. It's okay to admit that I may be wrong. So I'm, I'm researching some stuff right now someone's challenged me on, and I want to know. Am I right or am I wrong? Every time a Jehovah Witness comes to my door or a Mormon comes to my door, I go back and I, I make sure that I'm right. Do you know every time they come to my door, all it does is solidify me even more and more and more about what I believe about Jesus? Amen. Don't be afraid of it. Don't close the door on those guys. God brought them to your door so they get witnessed to. Anyways, he's got to be teachable. He's got to be tender. His tenderness. Come on, get, come up there, slide. We're calling for you, slide. There you go. Tenderness. Proverbs 12, verse 10. A righteous man regards the life of his animal, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. Now, you got to understand, I prayed a lot this week over this message because, I mean, this, you're looking at this thing with an, in an outline kind of form. I was looking at all these verses with righteous in it. And, and I'm thinking, oh, okay, God. How does this come together in some kind of a presentation moment? And this is one of these verses, man. I'm just praying over, like, where do I put this thing? Uh, do I put this down in community? Do I put it in the family? Where am I going to put this down over there? And, you know, where am I going to put this verse? And God just kind of nailed me with it. It's like, no, leave it alone. It's a standalone. And so a righteous man regards the life of his animal. I don't know about you, but I got a dog. I know a lot of people that don't have dogs, they have babies. And I'm not talking about human babies. I'm talking about canine babies. I think Genesis 1 said everything produced after its kind. Sometimes I look at people and I'm not quite sure. Because they got their little babies. And if it's you, I apologize for this. You can take it for what you want, okay? But, oh, baby, I want baby. Oh, we take, I'm going to take my baby for a walk. And oh, I'm going to do Now, I may call my dog, you know, um, girl or baby or whatever but she ain't my baby she is a she's a dog in the end she's a dog i mean she's an animal nothing personal she's not a human she doesn't have a spirit um she's not living eternally unless god wants her to live eternally for some reason for a human that that he knows that needs to be okay so sorry for that didn't mean to spell the, the myths here okay she's a dog but how i treat my dog really is an indicator about me. Do you realize that the relationship I have with my dog is the same relationship God has with me? Do you get it? I mean, I'm just a piece of dirt with some water mixed into it. Who God just kind of put it together, formed it and said what? <sighs> Go ahead and live. And at any moment he wanted to, what could he do? Say, don't live anymore. 
how I treat those that are underneath me that have less authority and power than me really reveal what I think about the tender mercies of my God. The tender mercies of the wicked are what? Cruel. I'm not, I am not a new age tree hugging, except I love hugging trees if I'm falling from my tree stand and I'm, and I'm hunting. Then I'm a tree hugger. <laughs> but anyways, however, there is a point where I don't think a believer could ever be mixed in cockfighting or um, dogfighting. I, I don't know how you do that. That's taking part of God's creation and, and pitting it against, literally pitting, against each other. I, I, I don't know how you do that. I mean, that, that fits right in this verse to me. The tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. That you sit there and you, and you, and you relish over, over things destroying each other. I, I just don't see how that could be biblical according to God's standards of righteousness. Now, God does destroy. He does destroy. When does he destroy? Say again. When it reaches its full wickedness, but why does he destroy? What is, what is he, what's, what's actually happening? Say again. Punishment. Punishment. It's righteous punishment. Punishment. It's justice. D- does it make sense? It's justice playing out. He is the judge. And someone has offended the law over and over and over again. And now he is judging that nation. He's judging that person. They really did it themselves. He's just enacting what he declared what it would be. He's not wantonly kicking the dog. You've seen people like that. They're just in their anger. Dog didn't do anything. Well, the dog did do something. It sat in his way. It didn't know that he was angry. And so, kick the dog. Get the dog out of the way. You get what I'm saying? That's not a righteous man. At least at that moment. His thoughts. His thoughts. Proverbs 12, verse 5. The thoughts of the righteous are right. Isn't that something? The thoughts of the righteous are right, but the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. Hebrews chapter 4, we're told that the, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two of the sword. And it also is a discerner of the thoughts and the tents of the heart. Do you know what it says about the days, about man, before the time of the flood? What does it say in Genesis 6 about man? Their thoughts were continually evil. It says more than that. Say it again. The thoughts and intents of their hearts were continually only for evil. The thought of the intent of the heart is literally what it says. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a multiplication process. The thought of the intent of the heart was only evil continually. God knows the difference between your thoughts and your intents. What really is going on in your... I mean, not just you're here on Sunday and you punch the ticket and that's really good, but what goes on in your heart even while you're sitting here I know how that can be. I mean, I got 10,000 things that go through my brain while I'm, while I'm even standing here teaching. What goes on even while you're sitting here? What goes on the minute you walk out the door and you start riding down the road? What are you thinking about? What are you planning? What are you manifesting? Yeah, we're only going to get through the inclinations today. Because now we got the tongue. Ike summarizes as the words of the righteous. 
Proverbs chapter 10, verse 6. And you're going to note that most of these are all chapter 10 here. This is what got me on this righteous thing here. Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. Verse 11. The mouth of the righteous is a well of life, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. Verse 20. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked, it's worth little. Verse 21, the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of wisdom. Verse 31, the mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut out. Verse 32, the lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked, what is perverse. Chapter 11, verse 30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. Chapter 12, verse 12, the wicked covet the catch of evil men, but the root of the righteous yields fruit. Proverbs 15, verse 28, the heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. Summarize all that. A righteous man will seek to edify people. It's going to sound sort of like Paul writing in Ephesians chapter 4. He's going to minister grace to the hearers. Colossians chapter 3, David, help me out on it, says that his words are going to be salted with grace. Full of grace, seasoned with salt. Colossians 4. That's the righteous man. And, and he's going to have, in my mind, it's your tongue, James chapter 3, 2, 3, anyways, 3, um, where it talks about the tongue, that the righteous man is going to have the fruit of the Spirit all the way to the end. What's the final fruit of the Spirit? Self-control. Self-control. Where do we realize that we're lacking self-control most of the time? By our tongue. Our tongue gives it away. We're struggling on the inside. We're still... And all of a sudden, the dam bursts. In with our families. That's why I said that you can put on a show here, but your family knows. Your family knows. It's just a reality, okay? I mean, we all should get one of those internet cameras in the house and no no don't go there anyways we don't want that but that would be the reality okay and so in our lips or in our mouths bring this forth that last verse there chapter 12 verse 15 the heart of the righteous studies how to answer there are times when you have to say i can't i can't talk right now we're going to talk about this later. Because if we talk right now, I'm going to prove the sinner that I am. It is better. It is better. It is wiser. It is more righteous to walk away and not say anything and ask for forgiveness later that you couldn't deal with. It was your own sin. Look, I get it. Okay, I have to I have to admit that I blow it more often than I want to admit. Okay. I'd love to tell you 
that I only use my tongue to build people up. But I get it. It's a struggle. There are times when you don't feel like you are trying to tear somebody down, but you, you are. And you've got to deal with that. That's when the righteous is teachable and tender. <laughs> Do you get it? That it just, it, just, it just, just feeds. And so you learn, and then you want your mouth to be a well of life. A well of life. I want my mouth to be a, a well of life. I know that even in my teaching style, I can be tearing down. And that's a killer for me. I can hide myself behind, well, it's a gift of the prophet. You know, you just kind of state it and this is where it lays, buddy, to heart. Jesus did both. Jesus built people up, but he also spoke the truth. Paul talks about the nurturing of the mother, but also then the, the challenging of the father. I think we like to hide behind ourselves in our sins. The righteous, the inclinations of the righteous. We're going to skip past this real quick. You're going to see this, ignore it, because we'll talk about it next week. So, are you one of the righteous? You know, I didn't put a whole lot up on that slide because I had a feeling that we weren't getting there, okay? But are you one of the righteous? Look, beyond anything else, this is the most key. I mean, I'm not, we can hide behind self-righteousness, and that's not where we need to be. Have you honestly, truly, fully believed that God was able to do in your life beyond what you could ever expect. That's where the rubber comes meets the road for me. I mean, it's easy to believe when there's nothing challenging me. What I really believe is put on the line when God asks me to do something that's beyond Bob. Does your life reflect one who has the righteousness of Christ imputed to it. That's an ouch. There's not a person here who can say, I look totally like Jesus right now. Okay? But hopefully, we can all say that there is a process that's going on in our lives where we're looking more and more like Jesus every year and every day. In what area would you like to see the righteousness of Christ becoming more evident in you? There's a blank there for a reason. I mean, it's so easy to read these things, and I know there are, if you take a sermon note sheet and stuff like that, to ignore this part of it. But they're there for a reason. I, I challenge you to think about this prayerfully. I'm not into the, the New Year's resolutions and that kind of stuff, but if there's a concept for a new this is it. How, what area... This year coming up, do you really want God to be working in you? Now, he, he knows better than you do. But still, there's probably some areas you know need to be working on. Is it a prayer response to God? God, I really would love at the end of this year to be more in conformance to Christ in this area than I am right now. Because this is sin. It's an abomination to you. And if, it's, if I recognize it, I know it's putrid in your eyes. I mean, don't, don't make it anything else. It's putrid. It's stench. It's, it's, it, it's, it's like what you don't want to smell, right? That's what it is in God's eyes. 
and, and I want it to be gone. Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for you. Thank you for your love to us. Thank you for your mercy, for your kindness, for your goodness, for your faithfulness. But thank you for your righteousness, for your justice. Lord, that you desire us to be conformed to the image of Christ. And you don't just put that weight upon us and, and, and make us seek to accomplish it on our own. But Lord, you have given us the gift of the Holy Spirit to convict us of righteousness, judgment, and sin, to lead us into all truth, to seal us to the day of redemption. Lord, I pray that you who began the good work in me and in us, that as you have declared, you will continue to perform it to the day of Christ. Lord, that individually as you're working in us, then as an assembly, Lord, we would become more and more like Christ. And Lord, that we would be like the city that is set upon a hill whose light cannot be hid. In this neighborhood, in this community, in this region, in this country, in this world. I thank you for what you're doing, Lord. I do. And I just pray that you would help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.